0: Um welcome everyone. It's great to see you. I hope everyone's having a great great weekend. Um, The weather is great. I hope you enjoyed that and are making the most of it. Uh, It's great to hear from the worship team. It's great to hear from uh, David. Uh, Just don't be crazy for crazy's sake. Uh, That's what I got out of that. But uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's going to tie into what we're talking about here uh, today. Loving more deeply. And as David was talking about a little bit, you know, with God, he he does kind of, in in our lives, he makes us kind of do some crazy things that would not be what we would normally do because of his love. It's so infectious. And so we do wild and crazy things. And today I want to call us to something here. I want us to study out God's upward calling to love like you've never loved before. That's crazy, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about it, that here today. And I just want to go ahead and we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to use um, Paul's relationship with the church and Thessalonica as the as the example. And we're going to do a lot of reading here. And so if it helps, go ahead and just close your eyes. Go ahead and just, just follow through. Because what's more important than just kind of reading every single word uh, is for you to hear... The love, the, the, the crush that Paul had for the church in Thessalonica okay. as we study this out. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 reads Just as a mother, a nursing mother, cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into this kingdom in glory. Jump down to verse 17. Brothers and sisters, When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, I didn't thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, and again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well we're destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that this would happen. We'd be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason... When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution... We were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You know, no doubt about it, God's uh, Paul's love here for the church, uh, Thessalonica was intense he loved so much they were on his mind day and night he encouraged them to live worthy lives and when he was away from them he was torn because of Satan he couldn't make it he developed this deep longing to be with them again I can't wait to see my hope I can't wait to see my joy my crown again it's how I feel about you how much joy I have when I think of you And I simply can't wait to see you again. And not only was he able to love this church and these brothers and sisters in this way, but Paul felt this way and acted this way with all the churches in the New Testament. Paul set this high ceiling of love. He had this insatiable desire. How can I love more? How can I make more of a difference, have more of an impact? And you know, I really believe that the degree of our success, the ceiling of our impact of life, will be determined by how much we love. Our success as a person, our success as families, as a region, as our small group, as a church, how deeply we love. And so as we study out, look at the Paul's life here, and the inspiring lives of the disciples. In Thessalonica, I want us to encourage and simply not be satisfied for where your love is today. But to want it to grow and more and more and to believe that your love can grow more and more. Not only to become like Paul's, but really that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So this is our calling today, to love more deeply than you ever have before. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by your faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you look carefully here at what's being highlighted, Paul often talks about faith, hope, and love. We look at it and we see it many times in many places and passages. But here, here's the action verbs. Work, labor, endurance. These actions are an example of a faithful Christian in service. This is what it looks like. And so he talks about work produced by faith. Labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. You know, if you look at it in the Greek, the word for work is ergon, and Dave, uh, and uh, Derek has toll rights here to uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But it signifies work that in some ways, and sometimes, we find stimulating. It's pleasant. Sometimes it's exciting enough for us to get out of bed. Okay, So that's work. But the word labor is a different word. The word there there is kopas. And kopas comes from kato, which means to strike down or cut down. And figuratively, when Paul used this word, the brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica would have known that it's describing someone that you would see lamenting, and they would would strike their chest. It conveys the sense that labor involves some personal pain in my part. There's going to be some cost to me. I'm going to have to exert. I'm going to have to toil, and, and, and I just might get fatigued in doing it. And not only does it speak of an intense effort, it's often unified or united with trouble. You know, some suffering, some weariness. And in our vocabulary, we would kind of call this, okay, describing someone here who's giving their blood, sweat, and tears. You know, those who do Iron Man races, they're full of intense passion. Why else would they do such a thing to themselves? You know, at the marriage retreat here, the brother... Uh, talked about the Christian life being like a marathon, right? And he asked those who had run a marathon to go ahead and, and raise your hand. And so, you know, I started to lift my hand up. You know, back in twenty, uh, you know, two thousand four, you know, I got to run an LA marathon, and I was feeling good about myself until I looked in the front row or in front of me, and I saw Fred Heights' hand also went up. And I thought, oh man, if Fred could do it, this can't be that hard. <laughs> But afterwards, I ran up to Fred and I talked to him and I said, hey man, okay, did you run 26.2 miles? And he was like, oh, no, I, I thought he was talking about a different race. And I was like, I, did you run like 26K or something? Like, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, but uh, it definitely made me feel better about myself. Okay, what is it? 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then you end with a marathon. 26.2 mile run. You know, they know it's going to be costly. They know they're going to get fatigued. They know that uh, they're going to have setbacks and trouble. Everything's not going to go according to plan, uh, despite their training. But yet, they're committed to hanging in there. They're committed to hanging on through the labor. And again, I'm not sure what prompts these guys to do that. I'm not a sports psychologist at any means. But I do know this. What prompted the Christians at Thessalonica to serve their fellow brothers and sisters and those around them in this way. It was because their labor was prompted by love. Not the sweet, romantic, syrupy kind of love. Not the kind of love, the phileo love that, you know, hey, I like doing this. I love doing this because the object of my affection there actually gives something back to me. You know, I love giving to this person because then they take a picture of it and they put it on Facebook to show how much of a servant I am. I like giving to those people. We're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about agape love. Focus-centered love where it costs you something. You might not get recognized for it. And you're thinking about their needs more than yourself. There's a greater person involved. Jesus, obviously, was a perfect example of this. An inspiration of that kind of love to us. And that kind of love there is what we're talking about. That labor known as copas. But can you think of some labors of love in your life? What are some labors of love? You've ever been in love so much with the idea of maybe saving up for a certain item to buy? Or maybe you're, you're, you're saving up for a certain vacation or a certain thing? You know, I'm at dinner with some of the guys, some of the teen guys, uh, not too long ago, and only one of them had money for food. And they usually all have money for food, but this time only one of them did. So I covered the other guys who didn't have money. And the guy who did, when we were up there about to make the order, he didn't want to spend his money. I asked him, hey, are you saving up? He said, well, you know, I, I just don't want to spend my money on food. I said, okay. I wasn't sure if he was wanting me to like, feel bad for him and pay for him as well. But instead, I said to him, man, here I am while I'm eating my in and out delicious burger, looking at him. And he's like, not eating. So let me get this. You're straight up not eating right now, not because you don't have money, not because you don't have friends who are willing to pay for you, but rather because you don't want to spend it on food? And he was like, yeah. I was like, man, I respect that. And I just kept eating my burger. (laughs) I respect that because he was willing to go without food. Maybe worse, to watch the rest of us eat our delicious food. I mean, he was willing to go hungry for the cause. Man, I think about falling in love with Addy. It prompted effort, cost, creativity. I wasn't a UCLA student, but there was a a class at UCLA, an eight-week course of salsa dancing. So I had to get creative to get in there. And it was costly because I wasn't a student, so it cost me more. And I was willing to drive Monday nights down the 405 North Freeway. And if you know anything about Los Angeles, the traffic, what should take you about 30, 45, easily an hour and a half, an hour 45. The inner turmoil there to go and visit Addie, but man, I would do it. I can't dance a lick. Two left feet. Is it one, two, three? Is it right, left, right, or left, right, left? What? What is it? But I was willing to do it. On, willing to look like a fool, looking silly. Why? Because even though it was labor, man, it was prompted by love. Come on now, come on, now. You know, and what are areas where you've just made these Olympic-sized efforts? Yes, yes, you're challenged. But you're also inspired. You're invested. You're like, I overcame odds. Right. And whatever thing you're thinking about, one thing we have in common is that that didn't just happen naturally. It didn't just happen organically. You thought about it. You invested. You planned. You worked. You sacrificed. You put in the blood, sweat, and tears for it. Why? Because that labor there was prompted By love, and that's the labor of love we're talking about in this church. This is what's so admirable about the church of Thessalonica. How about us? What's your labor of love look like today? What might it tell you? What would it say about you? Let's talk about a few today. The reality is, we can write down many things that we feel really good about. Amazing labors of love, amazing, incredible examples and servants are doing and are continuing to do. Examples behind the scenes, people taking leaps of faith to meet needs. Some go without recognition. But I wonder if there are areas where we can take it higher so we can love deeper. You You know, are we laboring to speak the truth in love? You know, we read in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 2, where Paul was talking about this fatherly posture with them, right? And he says, you know, I've dealt with you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You know, the labor of truth here is simply calling people to live a life worthy of the Lord. That's what the labor of truth is here all about. You know, that we would understand that we find our worth in God. That God tells us we're so valuable, we're so important, we're worthy of His Son's sacrifice, and therefore, He's worthy. He's worthy of our affection. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of praise and obedience. He's calling them to live a life worthy of God. Where the truth comes in is when sometimes people aren't living a life worthy. And we got to help them out. We got to help them see the truth. We got to encourage them. Maybe you have a brother or sister in your group and they're starting to miss church. They're making these bad habits and they don't see the red flags that are coming up, up ahead. They don't see the danger up ahead that's around the corner. They start to prioritize other things in their lives, in their children's lives. They're making poor choices. They're being less and less connected. And we have opportunities to love. But the question is, are we laboring to speak the truth in love? You know, I'm not trying to make this sound like this is easy, but if you're like me, you know, we, we see stuff all the time. And boy, it's so easy just to look the other way. You know, it's just so easy to hope that someone else will just take care of that. Surely someone else has the bandwidth, someone else has the knowledge, and they can deal with it. But I just, I mean, me, I just can't get involved. I mean, me, I just can't do that. Maybe we're fearful. We're like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say after they respond. Maybe we have good intentions. You're like, man, I'm about to call this brother. I need to. I want to encourage him, love up on him. And then maybe you stub your toe, and then you're just like, ah, you know, I got to deal with this now. And you never call him. I mean, it's something simple as that. We give up so easy. Yeah, we it. have good intentions. But that doesn't mean we're really going to do it. Come on, preach. And so Paul here would encourage, he comfort, he urge in all truth because he loved. He encouraged maybe the person who was a bit distant, maybe the person who was going through a hard time just to show someone that they care, that someone cares. And there are people here who need to be urged to live a life worthy of God. But are we looking for those opportunities? Are we ducking and dashing around them, not engaging in them? Thessalonica Church, they were phenomenal. They They were praised for this. And Paul, he was a great example of that. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil, our hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. How's our labor in making every effort? You know, they worked so hard, day and night. They toiled so they could provide financially so they wouldn't be a burden to others. They wanted to be an encouragement day and night. You know, talk about removing the I don't have time excuse. And I totally don't know their whole situation, but for them to say day and night, there's something about that. I had to ask myself, and I don't want to ask you, it's like, what are you doing at night? No, no, seriously, what are you doing? At night. Now I'm not saying you're totally in sin. I'm not saying that's what's happening. But think it through. What are we doing with our time? Are we consumed with our own life? You know, there's no margin for me to send this text. To drop by and say hi. To make effort to clean up the house. So we can be hospitable and have people over. We don't want to be there. I mean, we don't like that. But the reality is, we can sometimes be there. And we have to face the facts with faith. Because it prevents us from loving the way God is calling us to. Man, we gotta make effort to consider, readjust, reschedule. Okay, so so what can I do to love someone? Can I put time aside for them? You know, can I just be intentional when I come to church, when I come to midweek, meetings of the body? Is that not another reason why it's so important to be a part of the body? To be in the light with each other? Amen. So what's your effort level? And what can we do to grow in that? You know, are we laboring to have Christ's life expectations? You know, chapter 3, verse 2, Paul, he couldn't get back there. The persecution was so great, right? He wanted to so badly in Acts 17 when he was in Thessalonica. They were upset with what he was doing, preaching, all the converts that he was winning. And so the political people, the Jewish people, they get together and they take him away, right? Or they they come to take him. But, you know... Uh, they're looking for him and uh, they go to Jason's house and they don't find Paul. And so, hey, you'll do. And so they take Jason, right? Talk about being at the bad time or right? Uh, bad time and bad place, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're associated with Paul. We're going to take you. And uh, Paul leaves out of town quickly because, you know, it's about to go down. And so he's dashing and ducking uh, to get uh, out of town to avoid the crowds. And you know, last night we had such an incredible youth and family night. Talk about conflict styles. Here's an example of avoidance and the proper way to use this style, right? It's important for him to avoid it. I was really proud of the teens last night. They knew a lot of passages, a lot of scriptures. It was lively at our youth and family night last night. So Paul's in Corinth now and he's like, man, I'm over here, but I really want to be over there. I'm stuck right now over here, but you know, I can't go to you, so you know what? I'm going to send Timothy. He'll go. To do what? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. I mean, he was so concerned. You know, I know you're in the mix. I know there's persecution. It's challenging. It's hard. You're in the battle. But I don't want you to lower your expectations. Even in the midst of your trials, I want you to be strong. I want you to remain faithful, doing your best for God. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be doing more and more than you've ever done. And Paul knows the temptation that we face when we get comfortable with one another. When we've been in a group or a friendship for a period of time, and you just get to thinking, well, that's just who they are. And uh, that's just who she is, and that's who he is, and that's how I am, and so that's just the way it's going to be. And we settle for less. And Paul, Paul's making the appeal, he's like, guys, let's, let's start expecting great things from one another. Let's start by looking at others the way God calls them, the way God looks at them. Calling them higher. Not just, you know, we're not just talking about attendance or things like that, but to be deeply spiritual. Yes. To give of their gift sets and their talents for the Lord. Paul says day and night. Day and night, I'm going to labor for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to, I'm going to call you higher. Let's, let's expect more of ourselves. And then let's expect more of others. Let's not settle for less than God's best. You can love more. And here's how. Man, you know, if you were to make yourself just a little bit more available to your friends, to your neighbors, and you share your faith, wow, could you not save a soul? Could God not use you to save a soul this year? You know, man, if you were to be more active, more involved, participate in the group discussions, or just what we're doing, you'd make such a huge difference in our Bible talk, in our city group, in the lives of those around you. But but you know, are we laboring to have higher expectations of one another? Rather than settled expectations of one another. Sure, yeah, I mean that person, I mean, you know, they're 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 surviving, they're around, you know, they're there. But but are they thriving? And there's a big difference. Loving like you've never loved before will help us to get there. So, so what instruction would Jesus give you in order to love your brothers and sisters more deeply? Is it maybe to love with a little bit more truth? You know, is God speaking to you here today that, man, you know, your friendships are full of fun, no doubt about it. They're full of fun and, and food. But what about truth? What about truth? Is it obvious to the world that your friendships have been forged? Not because of the city you live in, not because you talk about the same sports teams, not because of your race or ethnicity, but because of the living God and what he's trying to do through us in this city. Is it obvious? Is it speak truth to the world? Maybe, maybe, yeah, I got to make a little bit more effort. I got to speak a little bit more effort. I got to make a little bit more effort and or maybe you just got to be more strategic in calling others to higher expectations of themselves. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 10. In fact, you do this, uh, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet, yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. I mean, here's Paul. This is a church that's exemplary in this area. And Paul has the audacity to say, No, that's great, but do this more and more. And maybe we're like, Oh my gosh, I don't, how can we do that? I mean, God, I hear Paul's praising them for the love that they have throughout the region of Macedonia. And if you consider the geography or the provinces that's covered there, that's a lot of love. And he's calling them. And imagine if our church, if each person and every disciple was fueled and inspired the way that Paul was and the way that Thessalonica church was and they became a model for the entire region of Macedonia, couldn't we become a model too? What would be said about us if we focused on this? But we're going to need to love more. Love our brothers and sisters more. Love the lost more. You know, I mean, when we jump into Bible studies, there's something awesome happened. Don't we just get light up a little bit? Because we're like, wow, this is what it's about. This gives us perspective. When people's lives are being cut and their hearts are being moved and stirred in such a way to find the truth like never before. You're like, man, what's the next one? But where's the next open person that God is leading me to? You start journeying on towards that adventure. You start remembering this is what's worth laboring for. You know, I'm grateful that our sister Isabel Hernandez is, is, is doing okay. She's, she's healing, right? You know, it's crazy because my uncle, I'm really close to my family, uh, he just got into a really bad car accident. He was T-boned by a drunk driver and luckily, my uncle survived, but you know what? The drunk driver didn't. I mean, this is my childhood, like, father figure that I grew up with. And it almost, in an instant, could have been taken like that. Man, I couldn't wait to just try to connect and talk with him, talk to my mom about her, his, her brother. I mean, guys, I mean, you know, here it is. Here it is. He's trying to wake us up. But where do we get this kind of love? Because you might be feeling challenged like I was as we're studying this. Man, how can I love more? I, I don't know if I can do this. In verse 9, it gives us the answer. Now, by your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I can't manufacture any more love. Well, yeah, at least not this kind of love. I mean, God is calling us. Uh, you know, to love in such a way and when we step up to it, guys, you know what we're saying? We're like, hey, I voluntarily do this. I know it's going to cost me. Okay, labor's involved. I'm not going to get much from it. There's not much gain. You know, you don't get any material reward or compensation for it. You're not just going to jump out of bed and sign up for this, right? Unless, unless you have spirit power and God divine enabling you to love like this. And what better place to go to than God to learn to love more? He's love. He created it. He sends it. He gives it. He teaches it. He bestows it. A fruit of the Spirit is love and it's inside of us when we're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. More and more divine gifting is is happening. More and more enabling the Holy Spirit in our lives. But when we do not love more and more, you know, it starts to look like this. You know, a move-in comes in, and we've had a lot of move-ins, right? Oh, there's no, there's no more room for our group. There's no more room for love for you. Right. And yet, Jesus is quite the contrary. Doesn't He say, in my house, there are many rooms. Yeah, right. Preach. Preach. You know, it's like, oh, you know, there's that friend that's coming, and man, I, you know, he's just waiting to be... Loved up on, someone to say hi to, to be noticed and cared for. Nope, I'm not going to go say hi. You know, someone else has got that. Someone else is going to take care of that. Now I'm going to wait for them to come say hi to me. Oh, you know, in the teen ministry or the middle school ministry, you know, uh, my kids got mentors and, you know, I'm just going to wait for them to, you know, come to me and stuff like that. Oh, uh, We want our kids to be mentored, but maybe, you know, maybe I don't want to mentor someone else. I hope we're getting ready, those of you who are in middle school, for what's to come here. But, you know, guys, whatever our challenges, with, about, you know, whatever challenges we have, we've got to rely on God. Yeah. And so where do we get this? Where do we get more and more? You pray. First Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else, just as ours does for you. Your love is too weak to share with a stranger. You pray. It's challenging for you to first love your own wife or husband or kids before you can go love anyone else. Pray. Pray. Through prayer, God makes our love increase. What was part of the success of the Thessalonica church? It was Paul praying for them. Remember, he said day and night. What he did for them was pray. And what did he pray for? I bet he prayed for them to love more. He prayed continually, abundantly, frequently, urgently. You know, I was so moved. One of our sisters here was facing health challenges and she posted it on Facebook. She's like, you know, the meds aren't working right now and God can heal me with your prayers. Man, it just struck my heart for a second. I don't relate. I don't fully understand that. But she made me understand and realize that I play a part in this and that I can pray and God could do something about it. Man, I just stopped and prayed. And I want to ask each one of us here to pray this prayer this week. First, Thessalonica, I mean, First Thessalonians 3:12. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your family, pray for your children, your city group, your friends. Let God encourage us, let God fill us up in a way so we can love like we've never loved before. And after you pray, make room. Make room make room in your schedule in your day in your night you might have to come early you may have to stay late you might have to cut things out that prevent you from doing so and make room in your heart make room in your heart you know what clogs our heart you know what doesn't make room is worry it prevents us from being fruitful and faithful creeping materialism Wanting to keep up and fit in. Those things can, those are real things, guys, that we got to bring to light. They stunt our growth, they stunt our love. And we got to remove those things in our lives. What will you do to make room in your schedule, room in your heart to love more this week? You know, as I close, you know, what makes the church click? What makes it all come to fruition? God's glorious plan is when disciples form deep, loving, rich, lasting relationships with each other. And then they take those relationships and they turn them out to the world. Come on. Amen. For the world to see. Paul modeled it. How much he longed for them. And you picture a family that he just, he just would, wouldn't give up on them. He just couldn't wait to be with them. He weathered, they would weather the assaults of the enemy together and they could grow and be successful together. I believe God's calling us today to love more deeply than we ever had. Don't be satisfied with where your love is today. And we can't do it alone. So God is there to make our love increase. To make it overflow. So that we can love more and more. Let's just close here. Let's just take 30 seconds or a minute And you pray with the person next to you. Pray for your heart to love more and more.